It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey, just catching everybody up um, on the screen, you'll see kind of where we've been in the book. We went through the first two, um, two chapters, kind of part A, and then last week we started talking about um, really why do we struggle. We talked about our identity, and I'm going to revisit that tonight. But uh, tonight is our daily choice, and really it's, it's kind of about the flesh. We said, why do we struggle? Three, three key reasons we struggle. The world, when we hear the world in the Scripture, you know, Jesus said, uh, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So there's this idea of the world, the cosmos, uh, but we're also told that the world, the love of the world, everything in, in the world is of the evil one. So you're like, wait, what is that? So, but the, the world system, as we see it, is fallen. It is broken. Um, Tonight we're going to talk about flesh and our old patterns, what that, that looks like, our old habit patterns, and then next week we'll talk about uh, the devil and fallen spiritual beings. Um, I'm going to try a new leadership principle on y'all. Um, hey, what changed when we came to, to Christ? What changed? Well, we became new. We got a new spirit. We got a new life. We got a new nature. We talked about that. Um, we got a new identity. Hey, have you ever heard this? There's these statements in our book. They're on your app. There's a bookmark, and it's these idea of who I am in Christ. You know, we're, we, we were created to have significant security and acceptance. We're all looking for that in various ways. And um, what we found is now in a relationship with Jesus, we can reconnect with our Father God, and we can be reestablished and have those needs met in legitimate ways. Sin is meeting legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Hopefully you've heard that before. Somebody recently told me if you're not sick of saying something to your business, your, your kids, if you're not sick of saying it, they probably haven't heard it. So in a very good way, I'm getting sick of telling you this. But hopefully you're hearing it. So significant security and acceptance in a relationship with Jesus. We have that. We have a new identity. We have a new boss. Uh, you, you got a new boss. If you're still um, in charge of your life, you're, you know, that, that, that's, uh, you're probably not born again. Not that we don't struggle with who's in control, but to come to faith in Christ is exchanging of a life. We're born again. We're spiritual. Uh, we said earlier a few weeks ago, we're not just you know, good people who need to be better, or bad people who need to be good. That We're dead people who need to be alive. And so what we find is we've got a new boss. Um, you know, the, the word Lord, uh, since none of us are in the UK and we're not, you know, maybe we, got, we all have British ancestors, some of us. Uh, but this idea of lordship, we've lost the concept of that. It's the, it's the controlling manager. It's the boss. Uh, and so we all have a new boss. Uh, but um, 
some, some things didn't change, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, J.B. Stoney, I looked up this guy. He was a pastor in the 1800s. I found a lot of writings, and he's an identity-based teacher. He talks a lot about union with Christ, connected with Christ, who we are in Christ, you know, moving away from all of the things of, you know, what do we need to do? You put on two classes, and you're like, hey, come learn who you should be versus six ninja skills to conquer the world. Most people are going to go to that class because it's like, who do I be? Like, that doesn't, I don't understand. But what we're saying is learning to live from the inside out. J.B. Stoney said this, until we know our position in Christ, that's our identity, until we know that in the risen Lord Jesus, we can never really face up to the sinfulness of our old man. But hidden with God in Christ, we can both face up to and face away from our own sin. It took me a while to realize this, but coming to terms with who I am now is his beloved son, a saint chosen by God. It's God's way of putting his arms around me to allow me to confess. It's God uh, loving me, um, encouraging me, knowing that his love for me is unconditional. That is the means to confession. Some of us grew up in a home, right, where love seemed to be conditional. You did good, you got love, you did bad, you got rejection. So you were trained to be, to look good and maybe not always tell the truth because, again, often acceptance is based on performance. But in God, in Christ, this unconditional love that Jesus would go to the cross, die for me, die for you, his blood for me, his blood for you, in that exchange, no condemnation, righteousness for my sin, God now accepts me as I am, and that is what gives me freedom to confess sin. A lot of people are, are, are fearful of being honest about where they're stuck because they think God might pull back from them. Sarah's story, right, when she shared, that was part of it, right? She talked about the shame from having a child, from a divorce, uh, having a child out of wedlock, uh, uh, being divorced, and like, you know, if God hates those things, he must hate me. And in the cross and in Christ and in our identity with him, that's why it's so important to go back. You have to know who you are in him in order to even face your sins because there's so much shame associated with it, many people can't address it. And I think that's why self-righteousness prevails in the church. Uh, because we're scared to face it because, again, we've turned it into a legalistic performance-based acceptance instead of a relationship with Jesus, unconditional love shown to us in the cross. And so uh, we have a new identity. That is the basis of, for this course. We can't say it enough. Read it. Remind yourself. Put it on your mirror. Listen to it. Say it to yourself. Record yourself. You're new. There's some things that we're all trying to get met, and, and when we go after that in illegitimate ways outside of Jesus, we're going to struggle. And so there's some things that didn't change. And this is my favorite little cartoon character. Uh, this, is, this could be me or any of us if we want to be this. So um, what happened? Our flesh was not taking away. So the flesh is, some people refer to it in different. What is the flesh? Um, it, it's our behavior patterns that have developed over time. Um, there's, it's in your book. It mentions this. I was given a, a, a new international version translation of the Bible um, my senior year of high school. The New International Translation, and I love it. I mean, it's, it was the first readable translation. Growing up with the King James Bible, I was struggling, right? I was, probably had a little dyslexia. It was a challenge for me to read, depending on my pastor. So this was the first translation. I was like, okay, I can kind of understand this. But it translates the word flesh as sinful nature. And that can paint the wrong picture, I think. I think for many of us, because when you read that in the context of Scripture and you read sinful nature, you assume it's talking about that you have a sinful nature. And we were all born with a sinful nature, don't get me wrong, but the flesh is a different concept, right? It's really about 
we always call it ruts in the road. It's the, it's the dirt road. It's driving over time after time, year after year, and we start to develop these ruts. And after a while, you know, the vehicle, the four-wheeler, whatever you drive, you don't have to steer anymore. It just does the same thing. It goes down the same path. All of us grew up, I don't care if you probably came to faith in Christ at five, all of us grew up learning to live independently of God and his ways. We all developed that. We all developed, you're like, why is it some, like the knee-jerk reaction for me is not to run to God, it's to run over here. Like, why do I do that? Well, it's because you, are tra- you were trained to do that. You, you, we all grew up with this independence from God. I do not want God, I do not want his ways. And so over time, this developed habits. And we have this. And so in our flesh, and again, the word flesh in, the, in, in the, the New Testament refers to our physical bodies, like our skin, our body, but it also re- refers to this, this habit pattern. Um, you know, when you came to Christ, your spirit is born again, you're a new person, uh, but, but your flesh, which has informed your thinking, um, is still there. It's you know, if you go to your computer and you, you hit delete, if you've ever deleted things on your computer, you know they're not really deleted, right? You're like, oh, yeah, right, i got to go to the recycle bin and I hit delete. Yeah, but they're still not deleted. Like, they're still there. You can't find them, you can't see them, but, you know, the right police officer can take that and take that somewhere and they can recover. It's not deleted. It's still there. So think about your mind like this. When you came to Christ and you put your faith in Christ, the hard drive's not erased. You're born again spiritually. But the mind, and you're going to see this tonight as we work, the the mind is not automatically erased. Those entrenched habit patterns are there. And this includes ways that we've learned to live independently of God. I just, I don't want God out. And so for many of us, even though we've come to faith in Christ, we have developed the tendency to leave God out of decisions, to leave God out of daily life, to not, uh, JJ's picked up on a phrase which has been powerful for us. It's, It's amazing how little simple phrases, but just, Taking time throughout today, the day to invite God into your moments, like to stop and just invite God in because it seems that so much of life, so much of our is pushing him out, pushing just, let's just stop and invite God in. And, and it, that's important to do throughout the day. Um, so let's do that. <laughs> I, just, I, I just feel led to do that. So I'm, I'm going to pray and just ask the so Lord, even now, I know it's challenging as I talk about the mind, as we talk about for our minds to be everywhere but here. And I just pray gently as minds drift off that everybody would come back and focus. We invite you in. Continue to teach us specifically as we look at your word tonight. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So um, something else that um, didn't happen is sin didn't die. Okay? Sin did not die. We, our flesh was not taken away, and sin hasn't died. And we're going to look at tonight some scripture. I... I revamped how I teach this. I used to hit some high points. I really wanted to bring some scripture into this. We're going we're gonna to look on the scripture, and some, some of you Bible folks are like, finally, he's going to use the Bible. Okay, yeah, I'm going to use the Bible. Um, we're going to get into it tonight and look, look at Romans chapter 7 and 8, kind of focus in on this idea of the flesh. I'll have it on the screen, but you can use. But um, I'm going to read this because I don't want to butcher this, but when I was 13 years old, one of the critical things that led me to faith in Christ was the death of my grandfather. I can't tell you that I was close to him. Um, my grandfather had a stroke when I was a young boy, and I just remember Sundays going to visit and seeing him in a bed. And going in, he, he, he couldn't speak very well. My grandmother took care of him for 10 years, like from, you know, from 3 to 13. This is my, the relationship with my grandfather. Hey, Grandpa, how you doing? Shake his hand, uh, talk, try to talk to him, and then go outside and play. That's just, that was the relationship. But when he died at 13, God really 
turned on the light for me to go like, hey, this doesn't go on forever, right? Life is not perpetual. What are the bigger questions in life? And so I started searching. But when he died, um, it, was, it was the end of the relationship with him. Track with me. It was my end of the relationship I had in this life with him, but it wasn't the end of the existence. It wasn't the end of what I had already experienced with him. I still have those memories. I still have that, right? Think about that. In, in an odd way, sin is like that. When What we're going to learn about is in Christ and through our relationship with him, that part of us was crucified and the relationship with sin was broken, but we still have experience with sin. It still exists in us in the terms of our past and, and it can be in our present when we don't live uh, what the scripture says in a, is, is a daily crucified life. So um, let's, let's look at the flesh. I want to read some scripture out of Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 14. It'll be on the screen. Um, aren't you glad you're inside tonight? And I do think I picked the ultimate. Y'all want to watch that clip again? Is that, is that okay? Okay. So, um, um, so this, is, this is Romans chapter 7. And, and again, I want you to focus on the flesh. Focus on the, there's, there's two words in here, flesh. And y'all, this is almost like reading, um, uh, the, the, he uses, he refers to himself as I. This is the Apostle Paul that's writing Romans. The, the Romans is known as the, the king of the epistles. This is the book of Christian living. If you want to know how to live the Christian life, this is the book of Romans. It's the king, right, uh, of, of all that's been written. And so here's, this is a big one, Romans 7. Um, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. And again, this is kind of talking about his old man, his tendency, behavior patterns. Sold under sin. That's straight out of our video, but never mind. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know it's complicated. I'm not going to try to explain it all. I don't know. That there's different theological views here, but I want you to see Paul keeps saying, I, I want to do one thing, and then I, I end up doing something else. I desire to do right, but then I do wrong. You're going to hear this over and over. Look at these next ones. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. See, Paul, you're no good, dirty, rotten. No, that's not what Paul says. He says, in my flesh. I know that no good thing dwells within me. That is my flesh. He's, he's referring to his flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. I, that's the new Paul, created in Christ Jesus. I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. Okay, there it is. But the evil that I do not want, I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Some would look at this and say, Paul's just, he's just blaming his flesh. He, Paul's not accepting responsibility. That's not what he's doing. There's too many I statements in here for that. And then verse 21, look at this. We're going we're to land the plane for the, the, the discussion of the flesh. So I find to be a law that, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. He loved, he, he loved the scriptures in my inner being. But I see in my members, that's in his body, another law waging war against the law of my mind. There it is. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That again, that's in his body. And then he ends with this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So you hear the tension in Paul. This is Paul, right? He's written most, God used him to write most of the New Testament. Here's a man that is in conflict with himself. He is in conflict with himself. There's a wrestling that's going on. There's an, 
within himself, and he ends with this wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so for us in our discussion time right now, the question really is, have you ever experienced conflicted desires like the Apostle Paul expressed in Romans chapter 7? Have you ever experienced, you don't have to get into details, the question is, have you ever had that, that the, the, the conflicting desires to want to do right, to want to do something, uh, but not seem to be able to do the something you want to do and end up doing something different, right? Uh, and then talk about a little bit how, uh, how do competing desires make a person feel? Like when you get in that situation or you know somebody that seems to be conflicted, how ultimately does that make, make them feel? So let's spend... Like- I hear in some of and some of y'all might want to pull me aside after this class is over and say, I don't know if I agree with that, but one of the distinctions in this class, and I've heard it a couple times in here, is you are not, you, you, if you're born again, you have the capacity to sin. I'm not saying you, all of us have the capacity to sin, but you have a new nature. You have a brand new nature. If you do not have a new nature, you are not born again. <laughs> Your old nature and here, I believe a man can have only one nature. I, I think the, the definition of na- nature requires a default. You have a nature. You have one nature. And you either have a sinful nature or you have a new nature. I, and so the question is, that's why identity is so important. This is the shift. This is the mind shift. This is the change. Who are you? You're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're chosen. You're appointed. You're called. That identity has to drive the decisions that you make. And the temptation is all about who are you. It's not about, ultimately when we get into this, it's not about are you going to take the bait, are you going to eat the cake, are you going to do that? That's not, the question is who are you? Because if you are nothing but a no good rotten sinner, you are going to take the bait. If that's all you see of yourself, if that's all you see, you know what? I'm just a no good rotten sinner, that's all I am. You will choose it every time because you are living out of an identity. This says you are something different. We're going to get to Romans 8. We're going to get to the change that happened. Something happened in Christ. We are not the same, y'all. This is not two dogs going after one heart. We're either, we're either his and we're believers and we're children of God who struggle with sin. That's who we really are. We still have capacity. But the switch has to be changed because when the temptation comes, if you get at the behavior level... Listen, if you get at the behavior level, I don't need to do this, you've lost. I shouldn't do this, you've lost. You're already at the behavior level. The question is, who are you in that moment? Who are you? And if you don't answer it in that moment, you will go the way of the sin. You will go the way of the temptation. Trent. Yes, sir. I know you pushed. You stopped just short of the answer to the very question. Who will deliver me from this wretched... Well, I'm trying to get there, but listen, please don't go to Romans 8. Please don't. I've already had two guys go to Romans 8. But I'm fixing to get there. It is Romans 7. All right, hang hang with me. Hang with me. Hang with me. Man. Hey, wretched, I hear wretch, uh, amazing grace, you know, the whole song, that saved a wretch like me. What is a wretch? It's a miserable person, one is who profoundly unhappy and is great misfortune, a despicable, vile person, a person who has a divided heart is a miserable person. The most miserable people a lot of times are those who are trying to pursue both, right? They're trying, they, they, they've left both doors open and they're going, which one am I going to choose? 
question is, who are you? And as you pointed out, I think this is important. Listen to this. What's the consequences? So, and I, I, this was good because some of you stay away from the message translation. That might be a good idea. Listen to this. This is a pastoral translation of the fruit of, of the works of the flesh. This is, this is the consequences of choosing wrong. Okay, this is the consequences. Listen to this. It's a pastoral translation. Again, he's taken some liberty, but listen to this. And this is the question. It, when we walk according to the flesh, this is what he says. It's obvious what, kind, what develops in the person who walks according to the, the flesh. This is what it says. Here's, what, here's the works of the flesh. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. A trinket God. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An, an impotence or an inability to love or be loved. Divided homes. Divided lives, small-mindedness, lopsided pursuits, and vicious habits of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on and on. What just happened? This is, this, this is Eugene Peterson interpreting what Paul was saying, and this is the works of the flesh. This is the result. It's not, it's not pretty, right? It's not pretty. But as some of my brothers in Christ have been pushing me on, let's keep going. And you're going to appreciate this. So when we, right? Hey. hey. So, so here, here's, here's something that's super important, right? The references in our Bible, like, you know, Romans 7, 8, the numbers, right? God didn't put those in there. Dudes came back and wrote these numbers in. It's a way of reference because you can say, hey, turn here. 8, 1, oh. So, Sometimes when we cut off our chapters in the scripture, we, forget, we, we break up like we're like, oh, I'll pick up in chapter eight tomorrow. But we forget and we get out of the context of what was in the mind of the writer. So instead of jumping to Romans eight, it's important. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And then we finally get to the breakthrough, right? Thanks be to God. Who answered? Who will deliver us? It's Jesus Christ. It's, it didn't say the Ten Commandments. It didn't say a set of rules. It didn't say go to church. It says, who's gonna who will deliver me from this conflicted desire to do one thing, be drawn to the other, in, in my flesh? And you go back and read that over and over. I challenge you. Paul's talking. He uses the word I, but he's talking about himself in two different ways. He says I, he's referring to his old self, and he says I, and he's referring to his new self. Look at that. But he says, in Christ, I'm a new creation. Look, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how often, personally, I've had to go back to Romans 8.1 and remind myself. Because the shame is so great, right? Shame, what does shame do? It drives us back to dysfunctional behavior. The question is, are we going to walk into the arms of God? Are we going to receive the forgiveness of Christ and break free of our past? Or are we going to feel bad, shame, and guilty and just start the cycle all over? The question is, are we going to humble ourselves enough to receive forgiveness, to receive grace? No condemnation. He keeps going. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's interesting he calls it the law of the Spirit of life. I just think that's interesting. He's talking about a different, how do you overcome one law? You overcome it with a greater law, and this is the law of the Spirit of life. For what God 
Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, all of us, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. In Christ, we are no longer in the flesh. We are, in, we are no longer in Adam. We are in Christ if we are born again. That is, that's, what, that's our position. That's where we are. Can we live according to the flesh? Absolutely. But we're not in the flesh. We're in Christ. We're a new creation. We're born again. Um, oh, I got one more verse. For the mindset on the, the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So here's the question. You got on one side, you got the rules. You've got the flesh, this eye that Paul used. Uh, and, and, and we walk by sight, and then over here we've got grace, uh, the Spirit, and, and, and by faith. And the question is, as we look at this seeming decision, the question is, some of y'all kind of moved ahead, how can we live or walk? The, the, verse, the, the Scripture says walk, but it really is, is how can we live according to the Spirit? When we're faced here, hearing Romans 8, talking about now that we can, you know, who's going to rescue us? Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation for in Him. Basically, what God did in sending Christ to the cross, becoming our substitute, now we can live according to the Spirit and, and not have to fulfill the desires of the flesh. The question is, how can we do that? And so, let's go back to our tables. It's a chance for you to share. You can use Scripture. You can talk. Let's take, let's take five minutes and discuss this at our table and then come back. One, one thing I want to point out, he said, and I think it's important to recognize, just, it's interesting to me that Moses, who wrote most of the Old Testament, well, the Pentateuch, right, the first five books, and Paul, who wrote most of the New, or, were both murderers. They were both men who took other pe people's lives. And think about the shame and guilt that they could have lived with, right? And again, when, when these men are preaching this, when they're talking about no condemnation for in Christ, the hardest person sometimes to, to forgive, right, is yourself. You've let yourself down. You've done something. You've sinned against somebody. And you know, you've got to understand, these men, this, this is not something that they were preaching. They were actually experiencing and living this, right? And so uh, th this is firsthand. So um, it, we're, we're faced with this choice, and some of you, you can keep adding. Like it, I grayed out the rules in the flesh because in, in the Scripture says we're dead. Consider yourself, Romans 6, 11, consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God. Reckon yourself. It's, a, it's an accounting term. You go in and you balance your checkbook and you zero it out. You reckon yourself daily to be dead to sin. You reckon it. You count it so. Uh, counting it so doesn't make it true. It already is. You reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And so that's grayed out. That part is grayed out. If you're a believer, this is the ability. If you're not a believer, right, you only have one the, the will is to draw you back always to the flesh, uh, to always to not even be able to choose the good. It's not that you can't do good things, but when you're born of the Spirit, there's this whole other side, this grace. Uh, you, you've got a Spirit, and then by faith. And so I'm borrowing from a few weeks ago just to bring something back in from a few weeks ago. So the question is, how do we, how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we do that? We do so by faith. We said that before. We walk by faith. It's finding out, remember we said this, it's finding out what's already true, and choosing to believe it, whether it feels true or not. The battle tonight in some of the discussion is, do I believe this? 
It's do I believe? I don't know. I, I you know, I, I kind of, I'm, I feel alive to sin. I'm not talking about how you feel. The question is, do you believe what God is saying in His Word? Do you, do you believe it? And, you, and, and maybe tonight, I get it, it's one class, it's 30 minutes, you're like, I don't understand enough. That's okay. That's fine. But the question is, do you believe it? And if you choose to believe the truth, that is ultimately how you walk by faith. It's the same as walking in the Spirit. It's a choice to believe. You walk by faith. Uh, so, I thought this was good. Look, walking by faith, it says this in the book, it's not just a feeling. It's not a license to do what you want to. Uh, walking in the Spirit. Second um, uh, Peter 2 says that people are ultimately slaves to whatever control them. Whatever consumes our mind and controls our lives, we're slaves to that. People can preach Jesus, we can talk about Jesus, but the question is what is controlling us? Um, and so I did you a favor. The fruit of the Spirit, hey, guess what? I wanted to read what the fruit of the Spirit was. So what are the products from the message translation? What are the products of walking according to the Spirit? Now, we, we had these really descriptive terms of the flesh. Listen to what Paul says. Same guy that wrote Romans. Listen to what he says about uh, living God's way, bringing his gifts to, to the life. He says, much fruit appears. like Things like this, affection for others, exuberance of life, serenity, we willingly develop uh, a stick-with-it sense, like we're going to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that basic holiness permeates the things and the people, everything that we do. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way into any area of life, able to control and direct our own energies wisely. If you want to know if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you can direct your energies wisely, you can... Stick to your commitments. You don't have to force your way in life. You have compassion toward other people. Again, this is a different verbiage. And we can go back, those of us who've memorized the fruits of the Spirit, and I just thought that was a fresh way to look at these. It's just good to hear them in a different way. Um, an exuberance of life, a serenity about us. These are byproducts of walking by faith, by walking according to the Spirit, by walking according to God's Word. These are all the same thing. But... As in, in closing tonight, as we move to this, there's some barriers that I want to talk about, barriers to growth. Um, again, you can know the Bible, um, but still not know God. I think that's important to talk about. We keep coming back to these barriers. One of the things that's a barrier that we found um, is, is refusal to take personal responsibility for your life. This is, this is key. Like, how do we move beyond this? Is taking personal responsibility for our lives. Uh, I dug this one out, and there's there's a few things that hit close to home, but I want to I want to talk a little bit about this guy, Tulian Tavigian. Uh, Tulian Tavigian is Billy Graham's um, really first grandchild. I don't know if y'all know anything about this guy. He wrote a book back in the early maybe 2010 or so. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Um, this book was a number one Christian bestseller. He was a Presbyterian pastor in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, Cool-looking dude. Look at him. I mean, I, 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 he, he, he's a surfer. Um, he, uh, he spent way too much time at work, and for work for him was, a, was being a pastor. Um, he, he was obsessed with being a pastor, and he spent tremendous hours. And he and his wife of, uh, I don't know, they've been married 15 years. She had an affair, and it was devastating to him. And... Um, he had not been the husband he needed to be. That doesn't excuse what she did. But here's, here's, here's the catch-all. 
He was so infuriated by everything that had happened, he decided to do some revenge affairs to get back at her. Okay? That's what he decided to do. And it cost him his church. It cost him his life. It, it, his life with his children. It cost him his, his ability to make means. He was a pastor. And I want you to listen to what he said. And this is going back to this refusal to accept responsibility. I want you to listen to what this former pastor said. This is in the middle of all of this when he was refusing to accept his part. His part. His part. Everything was her fault. This is what he said. As shocking as all my self-imposed losses were, my instinctive response shocked me even more. Rather than blaming myself for all the hurt I had caused, I blamed everyone else for all the losses I was experiencing. The self-pity, the rage, the self-justified resentment, the deluded rationalization, the deep selfishness, the perverted sense of entitlement, it was all there, every day, all day. As I've said elsewhere, I was lost, undone, and angry at God, others, and myself, doing everything I could to rescue myself from the wreckage that I had caused. I was full of self-salvation mode. What had, should have been my wake-up call to a newfound humility and dependence on God became an excuse to dig my heels in even deeper. I was headed off to the far country. In general, in general, when people get to these places, we talk about moving toward freedom in Christ. It's a refusal to accept responsibility. And here it is. God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He can do anything. But if people will not accept responsibility, even as a pastor, I can't help them. You can't help them. They have to own their stuff. They have to own it. And really, for all of us, the temptation, especially when you have challenging people in your own life, and this is a wake-up call for all of us, is to not choose to do, it's a little cartoon, but it, it can't be that. I, I usually ask, if anybody comes to me and they're, they're struggling in their marriage, I'll, you know, man, she, you know, let's just do the guy and the girl. Man, she's just, just struggling. I don't know if I can stick with her. It's really bad. What percentage of the dysfunction do you believe is yours? What percentage? Man, you know, I mean, I'm 25, 20. Own it. Own yours. And you can say that, and some of them go, yeah, right, yeah, they're, they're on, no, but own yours. We have to own ours. If you get like this, you won't make it. And no one can help because you have to accept your own responsibility. I thought the Tulane Division was, was powerful. The other one is just this idea, this is a little card trick, and the whole thing is to illustrate deception. The first objective of Satan is to remain hidden. The true nature of conflict appears when you start working toward a resolution. This is just a silly illustration, y'all. But you, I mean, our kids are grown, but you, some of you got little kids, you remember like, you know, they get on that pacifier, right? And they got that passy. And like, it, you gotta find it, you, gotta, you can't go without it. And then you're like, you know, we probably need to get them off this. Like, it's probably not good to have a 21-year-old walk around with a passy. <laughs> so it's like, so let's start trying to cut back. And see, you don't, when it comes to spiritual conflict, when it comes to spiritual resolution, when it comes to people are all nice and calm, but when you move toward resolution and you move toward taking things away from people, you will see it. You will see it. The question isn't, you know, can, can, well, I'm free to do anything I want to. The question is, can you stop? Can you stop? And you never know it's an issue, and you never see it in somebody until you take it away, right? Um, and then finally... Um, Last but not least is strongholds. 
We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. We're actually going to have a, a workshop. Those of you who've dealt with addiction, right? Those of you who've dealt with addiction, I'm not taking this lightly. There's some things that have been so entrenched that we know there's neuropathways in the brain. If you repeat things over and over and over and over, if you have a predisposition and you create strongholds, you create an addiction, I'm not seeing that this is like pulling off a bandage. It's not like peeling a banana. Ooh, I'm glad I'm through with that. I get it. It's hard. It's challenging. Um, these patterns are damaging. They're damaging to us, to our bodies, to our families, to the people that we love. And strongholds are real. The scripture talks about strongholds. We can have strongholds that develop. And we're going to talk. Um, that requires ongoing uh, renewal and, and especially uh, renewing of our mind, which next week we're really going to get into talking about. So John and Stephanie uh, may feel here. They're going to be here next week. They're going to share their story and, uh, and get into the first session on renewing our mind. We talked about this last week, the importance of the mind. It was in the Romans 7, uh, the Romans 7 and 8 passage. But the battlefield for all of this is right here, y'all. This is where the battlefield is. Like right now, I sense it as I'm teaching up here. Some, some of you are struggling in your mind. And it's great that I can't see what's going on. It's great you can't see what's going on in mine. But the battle all the time is in understanding this, hearing the word, communicating, and getting it. Because there's always distraction. There's always something that's trying to get us off because... The scripture's clear in the New Testament, God's word, that we're really transformed by changing the way we think about these things. We have to renew our minds, what the Bible says. If you're a computer geek, you don't, you don't get to erase data, you write over it. You write over it. It's renewing the mind. It's, it's, it's thinking different. And if we continue to run in the same circles, the, the truth is we haven't changed the way we thought. We, we're fooling ourselves if we, if we say we have. We're still believing the old the old things, and we're not believing the new truth. And so I'm hoping that this gives you just a fresh perspective to start to think differently. And if, if, if some of you are pushing back a little bit, then that's good because it's going to require us to think differently about some of these things. And so we're going to talk about next week the battle for the mind and the importance of that. So anyway, um, hey, it's 710. Um, let me pray over us. feel like I need to do that. And then you're dismissed. Hang out, talk, talk to your folks, and then again, rescue your kids about 7.15. Father, thank you for tonight. Um, wow. Uh, your word, Lord, is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit. Um, and Father, tonight is just as we look at Romans, just honestly, Lord, it's a challenging passage. But the truth in there to know that God, we can relate to Paul and Paul related to us and to be in a situation where the things, the good we want to do, we don't seem to be able to pull that off. We recognize a new nature in us. We're born. We want the things of God. We're hungry for that. But at the same time, Lord, this flesh that's in there. But God, thanks be to you, Jesus, for setting us free, for giving us a, a new spirit and a new way to deal with life and that we can walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. We can choose by faith to walk and to believe the truth, not based on how we feel. The way we feel from day to day is going to change, but based on truth. And Lord, I, you, you promised us, Jesus, if we hold to your truth, if we hold to your teaching, we would know the truth and that would set us free. And that's what we want. We want to hold to this teaching. So I just pray this course, this little book that people read, this obviously the scriptures, Lord, would be just a cast that hold people long enough, hold their minds long enough to get healing so that it can heal over things that have happened, uh, damaged emotions, 
sinful patterns and all the, all the rest. So help us, Father, as we move forward.